Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Hey, welcome back, everyone, to this week's edition of Conversations here with Z. And we got Sleuth and Jante and Caitlin are in the room as well. We're having this interesting discussion, Z. We've been talking a bit about some of your history. And for those who are more recent to the podcast, they may not know that you're a man of many talents and experiences. Back in the day, you were involved in the music business and actually worked uh, with Digital Underground, which was the band that gave rise to Tupac, and they were very popular back in the 90s. And there was someone... One of the founders, Shock G, uh, passed away last year uh, from a drug overdose. You and I were out there, uh, as well as Sleuth, at the services. And just talking to you, you've had this interesting relationship with Shock, uh, where the two of you, from what I understand, were very close for many years. And he always had a tremendous amount of admiration for you, respect for you. In fact, a lot of people in the group, and then also a lot of people who would go on tour, looked up to you as this older brother or father figure uh, who would keep them in line, make sure that people were healthy, they were doing what they should be doing. So he had this admiration for you, and you were very close. It sounds like you helped him a lot. He was also very open-hearted with you, helped you along the way. But he got into drugs, and the drugs turned out to be what would kill them. Uh, But along the way, it also messed up his mind, messed up his relationships, led to bad decisions. And at some point, you had to step away. So before he died, you knew that uh, he was going downhill. And you can interrupt me if I'm getting any of the, the story wrong. But it sounds like he was spiraling a bit, and it was just too much to deal with. So you pulled away, as painful as that was. And uh, as you put it, you were waiting for the call, because everyone who was close to him knew that he was going down, that he was going to die. It was just a matter of time. Got the call last year. I was with you. It was a difficult week. It was on top of other deaths that you experienced. So a very traumatic time. We went out uh, and uh, were there for the services, saw a lot of other people who were affiliated with the group, uh, Who some of whom I, I don't think you'd seen in 30 years. But they came up to you. Uh, they all had very kind things to say. They were excited to see you, even though decades had passed since you'd last been together. I don't know what you did or what kind of magic you pulled back in the day, but you had this huge influence on this big group of people. And then more recently, I guess just in the last couple of days, you and Sleuth were going through some of the old emails that Shock sent you. And I believe these were emails that you hadn't read before, uh, but uh, you found them in an archive somewhere, pulled them up. And there were these emails of just complete admiration, complete discussions about how important you were, about how uh, you'd really helped him out, helped rebuild his car or built a car for him, uh, which uh, meant a lot to Shock, uh, about how he had tickets to a certain event and he would rather have you along. If he had to kick off his mother and his sister, he would do that because you're such a seminal figure in his life that he wanted to bring you along instead. And it was kind of this this weird haze uh, that he must have been in where... He's sending these emails, and the emails are a little bit off uh, because his mind is spinning out of control. But underneath it all, 
you can tell that the man had a tremendous amount of love for you, a tremendous amount of respect, admiration, uh, which is painful. Uh, it's painful because he's gone. It's painful because there was a period of time where you just had to pull away. But as we were talking about it, those types of relationships, like the one that you had with Shock or the other people that we saw at the funeral last year who came up to you 30 years later and uh, just just put their arms around you, uh, hugged you, uh, talked to you until 3 a.m. and reminisced about all the crazy adventures you'd had, talked about what an impact you'd had on their lives. Those are the sorts of things that give life texture. And it goes beyond texture. We talk about souls. And really, what, what is a soul? What is the essence of a person? What is the thing that makes us human, that separates us from the robots and the AI algorithms that maybe can, can speak like humans, uh, maybe can mimic all of the behaviors, but they don't have that soul. They don't have that connection to other people. They just lack something. It's kind of like they're there, but they're not really there. And we see a lot of this in society today. We have all kinds of crazy people running around who are disaffected, who aren't connected to the world around them. There's nothing that they have to live for. There's nothing that they care about. So they go and they just destroy. And we've seen this in the rise of violence and the rise of mass shootings. And it's a common refrain that that person has no soul. There's something empty. There's something, there's nothing behind the eyes. Uh, There's uh, just a body with nothing underneath. So this whole concept of a soul is very important because it's what animates us. It's what connects us to other people. It's what makes us human. And as we've been talking before the podcast, a lot of that soul comes from the imprints of the people around us. We go through this life, we have adventures, we have experiences, we have relationships. The people that we interact with, the people that we touch, or conversely, uh, the people who give us time and attention, who mentor us, who guide us, who show us love and affection, all of that comes together. And those all turn into pieces of us, uh, the fabric of our soul and It's what gives us life. I don't know if there's a better way to put it than that. So this concept of a soul, I think, is important, especially in this day and age where we're dealing with soulless people. But even beyond that, if it's really that element that makes us human, that makes us alive, we should know what it is and we should know how to nurture it and cultivate it. That's where I want to start the conversation. So I'm going to hand it over to you, Z. You can take this in whatever direction you want. But let's get your thoughts on this idea of a soul. Yeah, Vin. Um, Peace just joined us. Hey, Peace. Haven't seen him in a while. He got, got a damn haircut. Uh, he looks like a, a like he can get a job. I really appreciate that. I hope he'll convince John Tay to do the same. Um, but it's all good. And um, yeah, we were we were sitting around the other day, and just going through life. And Suth and I, for whatever random reason, something was said. And we started looking through emails. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, talking about cars, talking about hot rods. Yeah, Shock had sent you a picture of a cool Camaro. Yeah, 6'9", yep. Yeah, and, yeah. and he understood that we, we all are, are fans of hot rods. Mm-hmm. We like our cars. Mm-hmm. And it's not just cars. People don't, aren't into cars don't understand. Cars, the soul of a car, for example, has a story behind it. When I was a little boy, 
um, and I'm going to get back, just kind of guide you through this. When I was a little boy, uh, the, the Camaros had just came out in the 60s. And my dad and I went to a car store. And that's when you could order a car with any kind of motor, anything you wanted. And he saw the car and he said, what kind do you want? And I said, I want a black one with a big block in it. And 35, 40 years after my dad's death, I got me a black one with a big block in it. And whenever I sit out with my car, her name is Ava. I sit out with Ava. I don't care if I drive or I'm just working on the car, but I have a moment with my dad. Yeah, man. I mean, car culture, hot rod, muscle cars. My first car was actually a 69 Camaro. So I'm a Camaro cat too. Chevy, big, a small block actually. Bounds, Blue Planet, high school, driving around a 69 Camaro. 16 years old. What? And so the, the nostalgia of that in the moment and everything that went on in your life, that car kind of represents that moment in your life, the events, your growth. And that's where car, the soul of car culture comes from. And there are many elements to a soul and you can meet people based on a car. I met Peace because he has a Pinsgauer. I had a Pinsgauer. I even have him listed in my phone as Peace Pinsgauer. So it, it and and but but he's he's like family to me now because whatever that represented, we have a lot in common because of that. We have a lot of shared interests aside from cars. The soul is the ether, and I I, I feel like when you say what is a soul, the soul to me is the roll call of people, places, and events that make up the pieces of a man. That's what a soul is. So when I started going through my letters to Greg, and I was really mad at him because of the drugs. I have an aversion to drugs because in my soul, I had a beloved uncle as a child who was one of the first African guys that made it to the Major League Baseball as a teenager. And to celebrate, he got married and his father-in-law said, you're a man now. Let's have a drink. And he had never drank before. And he started drinking. And he never stopped drinking. And he never made it to baseball camp. And he died of cirrhosis of the liver on my grandmother's toilet. Many years later. Never. And the last claim to fame was his high school sporting career. And he never made it. And his family was estranged. He never got to see his daughters grow up. They never got to know him. And he was one of the most beautiful people I know. So the soul of alcohol is that to me. So anybody that knows me knows I have an aversion to anything. I've never done anything in my life except since I've been married. I just eat gummies all the time so I can just deal with married life. Um, it's great, but it's different. So Caitlin got us hooked on that. And when I think about the people that I've known as I start to meditate on my relationship with Greg and I looked at the letters even as I'm telling you guys this, I'm still welled up emotionally because he's gone and he loved me. Those letters, simple words, not long, uh, long statements, but little clear things. He told me in one of the letters, what's wrong, Z? 
What did I do wrong? We've been so close for 30 years. What did I do wrong? But damn it, man, you killed yourself. You were around people who didn't love you, who didn't value you. I could care less about you being an entertainer. I could care less about any of that. Right, Sleuth? He was a good dude. Very good dude. Pure soul, nothing but love, open-hearted, just a, a loving a loving guy, man. Just even through his his lows, I never I knew deep inside he was a he was a good human. He was a good soul. Even when his dysfunction, he was never deceitful. You know what I mean? Always trustworthy. Yes. Always put friends and, and folks first. That was like a weakness. It was a weakness of his. It also, I believe, led to his demise because he always wanted to please other people. But those people were not worthy of that, is the way I felt. So in my way of a dealing with what I knew would come, I withdrew my attention from him. I didn't, I didn't want to talk to him. I didn't want to hear him anymore. I didn't want to hear him in bad shape. Once he had struggled with drugs, and I locked him in my basement in Topanga, and, I, and he detoxed over a six-month period of time. And people would come to my house and they say, man, you have a dude locked up in your basement. There's a guy locked in your basement. I said, that's cool. That's my friend. He's going through something. And he ended up living in Topanga for many, many years, even after me. And he appreciated it. He would teach class sometimes. Too, yeah, he would also teach yoga class for me and start the yoga classes. And he was very good. At, he was a very intelligent man. But he had that hole where he needed other people to tell him he was okay. And that was the ruin. That's what took him away from us too soon. Now, as I start to meditate on that, I thought about why it affected me so much. That night, last night, Sleuth and I, it really hit me. And I realized because he's a part of my soul. All of the people that you've encountered in your life are part of the story of your life. Uh, Sleuth and I were talking, and I work with with. I build things, so you know there are different types of glues. They have an Elmer's glue that's good for wood and cardboard. But they have certain epoxies that have other impurities in them that when they finally catalyze, they're hard as steel. And it's like you welded metal together, whatever it is. In the pieces of who we are, in all the jigsaw pieces of who we are, what holds us together are those epoxies, those glues that catalyze that you are the sum total of everybody you've ever met that left a mark on you, good or bad. I think about the stories of the people in my life, the part portions of my journey. I talked about when I'm in the garage welding. How do I know how to weld? There was a metal shop teacher when I was in the seventh and eighth grade named Mr. Mack. And I had a lot of trouble at home. My dad had been recently murdered in front of me and I was just getting into sports and he would let me stay in metal shop as long as I wanted and perfect my welds and do all that and build my projects and he gave me a space to grow and to heal. That was Mr. Mack. I had other people that, that I met in life. My dear friend Kevin. Uh, been knowing him, we've been friends since we were could just look over a fence. And he accepts me no matter what. I'm not, he can 
what they call code switch with me. He can deal with me as Dr. Z, Master Z, or just Z, and, and all in a second, all in a second. He gets me, and when things aren't right, he shows up. Right, Jante? He'll show up. Jante did a wonderful thing around Father's Day. He invited a bunch of people. I hate surprises, um, but he invited a bunch of folks over the house. And it was really beautiful just to have the fellas there. It felt like an end-of-life event, like I had a funeral, but I wasn't dead. And, and all these people showed up, and those are all pieces of me. I'm not anybody without all of you. There are some of the people that you guys tell me about how great the podcast is. This is your podcast, especially my old friends and people I've been through different things with. Maybe you were a, a student or a teacher. Maybe you were a girlfriend or lover or something like that. And, and, and we had our ups and downs, or maybe you were uh, a partner in crime uh, or, or somebody that helped me in a relief project. And it made me who I am. It animated this gross physical body into a person of character. And I see it in people. I see the soul and I see the soulless. That soul is so radiant. And it's not because I'm special, it's because you're all special. It's so radiant that I can capture the essence of it. I'm able to help other people get over health issues because my soul is radiant. My soul is all these people. We talked about years ago, you know, Sleuth and I have been on an amazing journey together since our, our time in the entertainment business. And, and, and we, were sit, we used to sit in a restaurant, uh, Zen Zoo, when I would teach classes and uh, there were movie stars there and there were famous people and there were people that nobody knew and we would all hang out together and share tea and stories and life and they would help out each other and connect and so many people started their lives in those meetings and gatherings. I had um, some sort of yearning in my heart a week ago and I wondered about people I had been in the military with and I called up an old uh, friend from the military, Reggie Royster. And I had Googled a few times over the years and didn't see him. Then one time I just randomly Googled and I found Reggie. And he lived in Riverside. And I saw a number and I saw his face and he looked the same except gray hair. And I called him up. I found the extension number and it says dial this extension. And he said, Reggie. And I hadn't talked to Reggie in 41 years. And Reggie used to come with me to L.A. to hang out with your dad and your family and everything before you were born. So in John Tay's, I haven't spoken to him in John Tay's lifetime. Wow. In John Tay's lifetime. And it felt like yesterday. 41 years felt like yesterday. It felt like it was last week that we talked. And I say, I, I, I'll, I'm going to make sure that I, in this life, if I can, if if fate has it, I'm going to go visit. Strange enough, John Tay's mother got sick, uh, grandmother got sick. I'm going to go down and visit her. And she, Reggie lives near her. And he knows her, which is crazy. But all of these people represent a time, a place, and a story, and an event that increased my humanity. It's not just the good stories. It's bad stories. Heartbreak teaches you about the world. And it, it helps the soul bear the weight of life. 
death, disappointment, tragedy, shortcomings of all kind that you shared with others are part of that. One of the reasons I'm able to even endure uh, the ups and downs of marriage and relationships is because I have many people who I've hurt and they hurt me without malice intention. But we're oftentimes passengers in this journey of life. And we share a seat together for a while. And when it's time for that, we arrive at our individual stations, it's time to get off the station. It's not that they all, it's all about abandoning somebody, quitting somebody. That's where you go in a journey with someone. But that what you learn while you shared a seat in that journey helps you manage the next leg of your journey. It makes you more worldly, more soulful. When you listen to soul music and you say, man, I feel it. You listen to Pieces of a Man by Gil Scott Heron or something. You may not have gone through that, but you feel it. And if you've gone through it, you can relate to it. The soul, again, is the roll call of the people, places, and events that we've all been through in life. When I met Peace and he came in with his brother who was sick, I could relate right away because I have a brother. I had a brother who passed away too soon. I've had a teacher, a best friend that passed away sooner than I'd like from cancer. They're part of my soul and my soul was able to be extended to him and then we bonded, Peace and I bonded, just from that connection. And the soul is eternal, as they say. It is not bound by our concept of time. Because with Jante, there's a generational soul. He fills in for his dad. And he has, he's always had a place, even when he wasn't here. When we were hanging out with Reggie and babysitting your dad, you were on the way here to this world. And the soul had a place for you. And now he's part of Dharma. All of you guys, and for any of those listening, just include yourself. If you've been around me, we've had time together. And think about the people that are beyond that. Sometimes that soul radiance, the eminence from that soul you don't even have to know the person, but you know their soul. You know how their soul evolved. So if you know them, you know me. If I know her and she knows him, it just flows in such a beautiful way. We get each other. Example of that is, it's funny that, you know, Sleuth's been here with us for a while. And oftentimes I assume that he knows everybody I know. And in, and in a few minutes, it's, it's that way, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. My wife will speak to him when she doesn't speak to me. <laughs> no, really, tell him. It's for real, yeah. yeah. I've got to keep him updated on what's going on. Yeah, I'm I, I, like, what? Because you, know, you don't always listen to your wife. You know, yeah. my, it is, what, what, whatever she said. No, look, I, I know how that is. Because before Caitlin came, I was the intermediary around the office. <laughs> but don't forget to tell Z that, oh, okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, I got you, Lisa. I got you. So, so, so the soul not only is a, a, a roll call, but it's a relay station, <laughs> right? It's a transmitter and receiver. And without the soul, what are we? When we look at these uh, acts of, these atrocious acts that people are committing, 
What does everyone say? They seem soulless. We can't find a friend. We can't really find. They were around. They were no trouble. Didn't notice them. They were in and out. They're soulless. So they can take lives and do all that with no remorse because they're not attached. They're, 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 they're breathing, but they're not alive. They're living, but they're not present. Right? They're soulless. And what it reminds me is gratitude. And so uh, just a minute ago, I called uh, a friend of mine, Mike Venegas, a guy I was in the military with. And we just spoke for a few minutes. That's all it took. Hey, Mike, what's up? Hey, I'm good. You good? Man, I miss you. I miss you. I'm going to come and see you. Whenever get around to it, but were we good? I was just thinking about you. I went to Berkeley and I passed by a friend of a friend's house. I said, man, I wish we were all here. Then he mentioned the dead. I, 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 I got a piece of pizza for, for Ant. I knew he liked the pizza. So that's the soul. What are we without that as a species, as a collective humanity? And I found that because of that awareness of the soul, I try to tonify it and nurture it and share it with the people around me. Because that is what gives us pulse. We might as well be a computer if without a soul. We might as well be a machine, a zombie. Yeah. Any thoughts, fella? True. I think it's true. I mean, because otherwise you're just a program, a program, a computer program. That's, that can be predicted, right? Soulless. Yeah. Just do what you're told. Like a worker bee or a drone or, a, you know. Yeah. What about you, Peace? Say hi to everybody. We have to <laughs> hello, hello, hello. I've been, you, I've been just figuring out life, basically practicing benevolent guidance and wisdom. That's what I've been. What is that? Practicing noticing, allowing, releasing limited thoughts, finding what my soul purpose is. Mm -hmm. And uh, my soul purpose is well, over this journey and this adventure that I've been on uh, is being aware and noticing that my calling is to help guide people who have trauma within holding them accountable and them holding me accountable what they say they would like to accomplish and like they would like to become and be. Mm -hmm. um, of the question that uh, came up last week, two weeks ago, because I've been dealing with a lot inside my restaurant with my team, is that how to manage their emotions. And the question that I've had for them is, and anybody can ask whomever that may be in their life, uh, for them to think about it, uh, for them, for that person to think about it themselves, is where does the source of your pain come from that has to do with me? Mm. Hmm. And and the ending of that was what has to do with me and the company because that's where I came up with this question mm -hmm. because I am the company, I built the company, it's my company, but it's our company. But at the end of the day, against it, when the emotions begin to start to brew. And, and people are not aware of practicing, practicing benevolent guidance and wisdom, like being having gratitude and appreciation of where we are right now and where we would like to, to, to go and what uh, our purpose is, it begins to be very, uh, chaos begins to happen mm -hmm. due to mental health. And um, noticing that and practicing that every single day to be aware and be in the moment and be still, um, that... 
uh, has been, you know, my focus and leading by example. Uh, so when people write in journals, it's what's the action plan behind writing in the journal? Like, what are the steps? You know, life visions, life skills, you know, legacy, um, uh, my consistency, my heart. So the openness of that comes from the heart. And when your chakras are closed, there's there's a blockage that you're not able to receive what's being said. And sometimes, or majority of the time, when a person is, uh, I've learned that we never, for me, never learned to get to know myself. Truly get to understand self-awareness of myself. We've came into a routine of coming out the womb through our guardians, whoever raised us, and we followed their program. Mm -hmm. But never took time due to depending on uh, that guardian or that parents or grandmother or uncle or cousin, depending on the knowledge that they've known, it's never been expressed like you have to get to know yourself mm -hmm. to be able to maneuver through this beautiful world or it's going to eat you up. And that's one of the greatest gifts you can share with someone is the gift of introducing them to paths of self-realization. And it's one of the most unselfish things you can do and one of the most difficult things to do because we want to collect people. We want to own our partner. We want to own our children. We want to own our family. We want them there. We want in control and we want to have sway and some form of dominance over that so we can predict a life so that everything is safe and okay. But the truly benevolent one often lets you go. Go wherever you need to go. I will give you the tools to go. It's one of the things I learned in the Code of Budo and Martial Arts. When you teach, you teach a student to be on their own. You teach the student not to be dependent on the teacher. A wicked teacher, an ignorant teacher, limits the knowledge they share with the student for fear that that will rebound upon them in a negative way. A great and benevolent teacher gives you the tools to transcend them. They not only teach you, but they share the stories of their journey so that as you move on and you go, you go out into the frontier, you not only have the skills and ability, but you have the collective knowledge of generations of teachers. And so that's, again, going back to the radiance of the soul, not the limits of the body. When we take the role of who made us, how we've been, you can see it like you look at DNA. You can see generations and generations of shared effort, benevolence, um, kindness, toughness, in everything you touch. You know, I often talk about my teachers um, because I am nothing without them. I often talk about my friends and family because I am freely nothing. I am liberated. I am nothing without them. And so when I speak of them, I invoked higher ideas. And each of us has a piece of a person. We don't have the whole story of anybody. We have pieces of that person and then we take those pieces and we amplify them. It's like you only need one seed to grow a forest. So if they give you one seed, you can grow infinity. And 
what is required to be nurtured and cultivated. And so it, it, it's one of those things when we talk about the people in our lives, what is the lesson they gave you? What did they give of you of themselves? What was the story you shared with them that will be told over and over and expressed in innumerable ways on your journey? And then when you hand off that baton to the next life, you can see it going and going and going and going. And that is how the soul is eternal and it blossoms. And in, a, in an enlightened and healthy world, our souls blend and that gives us light. And when the souls are in a deficit, we are, we are immersed in fog and darkness and cold. And instead of empathy, there's entropy where it's just draining. Our world is on the brink right now, the souls and the soulless, right? It was spoken in ancient texts that there would be a time when half of humanity, though they walked and breathed, they would not be alive. They wouldn't feel anything. And we're there now. So for those of us who are not zombies, who are still mammalian, then the collective overlap and embracing of souls is very important to be around like-minded, soulful people. You don't have to crowd anybody, just radiate. I was talking to a young lady today who was going through a bunch of stuff and she felt she was overwhelmed with responsibilities to others. I said, are you really? You don't owe, I, I said to her, you don't owe anybody anything. And that's hard for people to hear. We don't owe anyone. When you do something for somebody, you do it because it, it elevates your humanity. If it doesn't elevate your humanity, don't do it. It is insincere. Do what elevates your humanity, be it volunteering, helping, giving, trading, sharing, whatever. But don't come back and walk around feeling like, I have to do this. I got to do this. No, you don't. Uh, and I use my old saying that I share with most of you all the time is that learn from things in our known world. A lighthouse saves more people than the Coast Guards ever will. And all that lighthouse does is keep the light on and warns the mariner away from uh, rough waters and rocky terrain. The Coast Guards come in after you've made mistakes and, and spend tremendous resources to try to save you from yourself. The lighthouse just is a beacon. So if you want to do something, you could be a Coast Guard or you could be a lighthouse. I say be a lighthouse, work on yourself, and let that radiance emanate far and wide and give people a good example of a path to follow and let them make their own choices, respect their choices. And if they do something you don't think they want you, they should do or want to do, give them a free path away because there's a billion more behind them that may need or benefit from your brilliance. Don't attach it to your ego or take claim of it. When I share with people, I share with an open and detached heart. I do that for Z. That makes Z okay. Sleuth was with me the other night. I had a, I had a major head injury um, and uh, I fainted or something. Sleuth told me, I don't know what they are, but because uh, I was trying to heal it. And, and all I really remember, I saw the dead were in the room and I knew something wasn't right. And I had visions of being debilitated in the hospital. 
And with all my strength left, I think I told Sleuth, I don't want to do that. I will not be a burden on the people that love me. Because Z is not a physical body. The thing that I've loved in people and the people love me cannot be housed in a physical body. And it will live beyond me in what I've shared with others. So I'm not afraid to go to the other side. I like being here, but I love being me. Again, I like being here, but I love being me. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Any thoughts, Ben? Yeah, it's interesting. Some of the words that we're using around this topic, around radiating, you gave that example of the lighthouse. Peace talked about something around the heart. Maybe it was around being open-hearted. As we're getting into this discussion, we started talking about the soul as almost a reflection of the people that you've touched or a collection of experiences and imprints from other people. And that seems to be part of it. it what I'm hearing, though, is that underlying that is this capacity to give love and receive love. And maybe that all relates to being open-hearted. But if we have that capacity to open the heart, to give love freely to other people, that brings us into contact with others, that leads to intimacy, it leads to, uh, to closer relationships, it leads to being relevant. Because suddenly other people need us in their lives. They want us around for our presence, for our support, our intelligence, whatever it may be. And that adds to our humanity. That gives us a reason to keep on going, uh, to be alive, to keep on doing the things that we're doing. And the flip side of that is the receiving of love, uh, where at times we need guidance. Uh, we need that same support that we give out. We need that affection. And I don't know exactly what the connection is. Some of this might just be circumstantial. I mean, it could be the case that we want to be open-hearted as children, but we don't have the right people around. Uh, we don't have parents who can open themselves up, or maybe we lose our parents early on. We don't have people who can take that role. And perhaps because we're not getting the love, that also shuts down our capacity to open ourselves up to other people. And that's where the soul starts to diminish. The humanity that we have starts to diminish because we lack that connection to others. We lack that empathy. We talk about all of the violence going on. Ultimately, it's a lack of perceived connection to other people. If we see others as an extension of ourselves, or even if we don't see that, even at a more gross level, if we can imagine someone else's suffering, that's painful. That's a painful thing to contemplate. There are times when I've read about random tragedies going on in other parts of the world, and I burst into tears just because it's a horrible thing that others have to go through. And I know that they are human and they breathe the same way I do. Their heart beats just as mine does. And just that knowledge, that sense of connection creates a reason or a desire for them to be free of pain, uh, which goes back to this Buddhist idea of, of compassion. So a lot of this Z, as we're talking about the concept of the soul, seems to be, can we open ourselves up? Can we connect to others by giving love and receiving that love in return? And if we can, our humanity flourishes, our impact in the world flourishes. As that happens, we have more of a reason to continue. It's a virtuous cycle, because the more that we do, the more of that we give out, we see the effects 
the more of that we want to continue propagating into the world. But conversely, the cycle could go in reverse. If we never are in the proper conditions or we never learn how to love because no one provides that example, no one provides that role in our lives, then we shut down and we lose our affect, we lose our connection. And that's when life becomes what Sleuth is saying. We're robots or we're algorithms. What difference does it make? It's like you could take a gun and go onto a rooftop and shoot people. It's like shooting people in a video game because you don't have any sense of connection. You don't have any sense of the value that other people could provide, that their existence could provide, because you don't get any value out of shared humanity. That's where we get the sense of emptiness. There's emptiness because you've never been able to take anything in, and you've never been able to take anything in. Uh, you've never opened yourself up to others. You've never seen what the benefit is of having those relationships and that intimacy. And as you mentioned, Z, just a final point before I get your thoughts on this. At times, it can be a painful process. So if we love others, we lose other people. That's the nature of life, and that causes pain. Or we have relationships and misunderstandings, and and at times it's tough. I mean, marriage is, is hard at times. All relationships are hard at times. We go through ups. We go through downs. We stick it out because we care about the other people. Otherwise, we can walk away. Uh, if people treat us badly and we have no connection to them, then it's kind of like, get the hell out of my life. I, I have no need to see you. But if we do have that love and that connection, then we're willing to stick it out. We're willing to go through the pain. But even the pain has some benefit. The pain can provide lessons. It can give us the capacity to bear the weight of life, as you put it, which I think is a beautiful way of thinking about the role of pain and the strengthening of our soul. It's a way to help us get through life, to help us get through the challenges that we inevitably are going to face. So that's my take, Z, that a lot of what we're talking about, yes, it is imprints, it's experiences, it's the impact we have on others and vice versa. But that starts with this capacity to give love and receive love. I think just kind of me looking out at the world, and especially from our generation, peace, um, probably starting with our generation, if not our parents, I think it goes back to a podcast you guys did before on ritual. And when I think about the losses suffered in so many of our families and throughout our lives, what brought you through it was ritual. Be it your own ritual or ritual that a teacher gave you, you know, you had the fucking Avengers come together and they guided you through a period of hell at a time where you don't have the cognitive capacity to do it yourself. Sure. Uh, Sleuth, you've probably been through similar situations. Peace, I mean, you're going through it now. We didn't have that kind of ritual coming up where we had teachers and, and mentors to pull us through the fire. Our parents did the best of what they knew, but we didn't have someone who had the compass and could say, look, you're going through X, Y, Z. Here's how you walk out of that and still have an open heart. So when I look out at the world, I think a lot of what we're seeing is a lack of that ritual, that ability to walk through the fire and have someone that can guide you or something you can wake up in the morning and know, this is, this is my A to Z. This is how I'm going to walk through this. 
I was telling you, Unc, in 2020, when I was sick, I was 160 pounds going into 2020. 8% body fat, almost all muscle. By the end of the year, I was 135. There were moments during 2020 where I would say a silent prayer at night, please just let me wake up tomorrow because I don't know what's wrong. My heart's running 120 BPMs. I'm waking up in a pool of sweat. I'm, I'm losing breath just walking to the kitchen. Please let me just get up tomorrow. Then there were moments where I just wanted to quit. If I don't wake up, fuck it, I don't wake up. But Tai Chi, Qigong, you just keep going through the desert. As his uncle put it to me, you, you're on flat land, you're in the desert, you have no idea how wide the desert is, but you just keep one step, one more step. I'll be out of this eventually, one more step. I didn't have that ritual as a teenager. I doubt, I doubt you had that ritual as a teenager. You guys, as a generation, you had those mentors, those guides, those teachers who could step in and give you the blueprint, the map, the compass. Here's true north. Stay the course. We don't have that anymore. So now what you see is life happens because life happens and no one knows how to navigate because there's no one there to say, here's how you keep an open heart and still walk through the fire. I mean, that's a good point you brought up, Jante, about rituals. And, and when, I, when I hear that term or the concept of ritual, I think about um, soul cultivation. That's the purpose of ritual. When you see the Buddhist doing the mantra, when you see the Hindu doing the mantra, when you see the Muslim doing the prayer, reciting, that's part of the cultivation of the essence or the soul of their belief. And, of course, there are deeper layers when it is done mindfully and not dogmatically and just simply recitation. But when you feel it, when it, when it uh, moves your heart, when you say those mantras or you hear the meditation, Sooth knows at the house I keep a mantra machine running and just the, the resonance, the echo in the background of that beautiful mantra keeps you in a state of connection to divine grace, the, the unintangible, the in the inconceivable that's out there. On a common level, we can cultivate the soul by just simply doing what we're doing and acknowledging one another and those that are who we are. You witness it in children all the time that they come in on a, on a soul journey, on a magic carpet, and if you cultivate them, they can advance their soul. If you stifle them, they suffer. Uh, I was watching an Indian movie last night, a Bollywood movie called Major. It was about this guy named Sandeep uh, Unakrishnan. And when he was a little boy, he was fascinated with military life as a little bitty boy. As just a baby, he would see the soldiers and he would see the military rituals and he was just into it. And his parents were common citizens. And they said, well, he'll get over it. Well, then he grew up and he wanted to go to college and become a doctor. And he was, their parents were upset. He joined the military. They said, we don't want you to join the military. We're not super patriots. We love the country, but we don't want you involved. Like no parent wants their child dying in a senseless or meaningless war. And, but he was drawn. This is, a, this is an amazing story, a true story. But he was drawn to military service. Well, around 2008, there was a terrorist attack on a hotel in India, on the Taj Hotel in Mumbai. And... He ended up getting killed there. But 
before he was killed, he saved the lives of many, many people. So when he was born, he knew he would save those people's life. Now, no parent wants to lose their child. So it shows not just his story, but his parents' story of begging him to reconsider the line of work he was in. And he said, as soon as I'm done with this, my duty, I'll, 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 I'm not going to abandon my family, but I have a duty. I have a duty to the country. So there's a scene, and it's based on true story, where they're overwhelmed by the terrorists. They're random. They're uh, doing their thing. They're, they're doing a complete kind of helter-skelter attack. There's no real method. They're way ahead. The media is feeding the terrorists information. It's a mess. And it was, a, it was just a crazy thing. It was, uh, I was in India around that time. And so the commander asked him, how many people should we lose saving these other people? And he looked at his fellow soldiers and he just put one finger up. He said, just me. And he went in and he rescued many, many people before he was killed. That's why he was here. He knew it when he was a baby. So when they interviewed his parents, his mother was overwhelmed with the loss of her child. And his father was overwhelmed with the child. He said, but I understand. I hurt. I wish my son was here. We will never get over this loss. But he knew when he was born, his soul knew that he needed to be there. And as crazy as they do Bollywood movies, they brought all the survivors that he had saved to be in the credits for the movie. And the baby that he had saved is a grown woman now with a happy life. So people know, the kids know their soul. We don't. We stifle it. But for all of us, I tell people all the time, call somebody you love. Call somebody that meant something. Call somebody you like. Don't call the people that messed up your life or did that. They did teach you a lesson, but you don't want to you know, nurture that energy because that doesn't need, that's like gravity and death. It's going to happen anyway. But for the people that were fond of you, the people that tolerated you, the people that extended a hand to you, just check in on them. And that nurtures your soul. It does wonders. I do it all the time. Sleuth knows I do that all the time. I'll reach out to different people. And just, hey, what's up? How you doing? He says, check in, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Check in. That's what I do. <laughs> He hasn't heard from you for yep. so long. Check in. Yeah. Check in. Yeah, that's, that's what I do, right? That's, that's, I do that for my soul because I acknowledge in the most humblest of ways that I am nothing without the people that give a damn about me. I'm nothing without the people that made my life hard. And for the people who like me, admire me, look up to me, or just think I'm a cool person, it's because of all those people. So I got to check in. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, Z, we're touching on a lot of the themes that we've talked about in the past. The value of relationships, of being connected to those around us, of being a reflection of the different experiences. You've talked about your teachers in the past, how they've shaped you. They've each shaped you in different ways and given you the ability to transmit knowledge, to heal people, to pass that on. 
And you take great pride in passing that on and cultivating the next generation of people who can do the same thing that you've done. So all of that, to me, adds up. I would just uh, maybe get your perspective on the following. We're always talking about how people can use the discussions from the podcast. We've talked about the soul, the importance of the soul, what it means, how we want to radiate, how we want to open ourselves up to others, how we want to foster connections. What are some practical things that we can do? I mean, if we acknowledge that the soul is important, it's that source of vitality, that source of humanity. It's what makes us feel alive. It's what separates us from the robot hordes, which maybe are going to come in the future and take over the planet. But we want to maintain this this race of, of humans uh, in the face of some Terminator-type apocalypse. What are the things that we can do day-to-day? We talked about checking in with people. Are there other suggestions you have, Z? How do we go about cultivating the soul? The cultivation of the soul is like cultivating a farm or garden. You nurture it. You check in with it. You look at what it needs. You give it water. You give it food. You give it, the, you give it yourself. What does it mean? Your time. Time, again, is a relentless taskmaster. Give it your time. It doesn't take much to check in, to tell people you appreciate them, to create that momentum of grace. It doesn't have to be heavily formal. It does require the commerce of time, the currency of time. Um, Do it more. Sleuth does something with his mom that's very beautiful. His mom is Gingy. Everybody send love to Gingy. And his mom is cool. I met his mom years ago. Um, she's a tough lady, a lot like all the women that grew up in that generation. Um, and, and he checks in with her every day, looks after her, cultivating, nurturing. I never had that relationship with my mom. And I admire that. And I always wonder what that would be like. With people. I let them know that they're meaningful to me. I let them know I value you. Wherever you go in life, whatever happens on our journey, whenever that time comes for you to get off at your station or I get off at mine as you move on, I want to let you know I appreciate you. It is a way of suppressing the ego. You are nothing without the people that have shaped your life have given you challenge, has added grace, has cooled, has cooled your temperature, has offered comfort to your wounds, has tolerated your bullshit, who's helped you grow as a person, who helped, even if you carried them on your back, when they got off your back, you were stronger. So I just acknowledge it. I do my gardening. I do my check-in. And I do that all the time. I'm, You've seen it. Everybody knows me knows. I can be somebody told me. My best friend, Ant, right before he was dying, I called him up and he insulted me one time. And uh, I was feeling sentimental. And he was dying and he hadn't told me yet. And I remember we had fell out one time and I talked about this before. And and uh, there was this song, uh, 
by Patti LaBelle uh, years ago. And is it called Isn't It a Shame? And we had fell out once as kid, and he said, I heard that song, man, I thought about you. And that's a hard thing to do for us kind of dudes, dinosaur dudes, to admit that tenderness in our heart that we have for our brothers, our comrades. You know, it's, we, we, we're old school, right? So that's a rough way and kind of offhanded way of showing adoration and love. And many years later, I reminded him of that. I said, man, that's still our song, man. That's still our song, man. We've been through it together. He said, man, stop being all sentimental. I said, you asshole, if you weren't my best friend, I would beat your ass. And then I realized why he said that, because a few months later, he would, I would find out he was dying. And he didn't want to burden me. He didn't want me to be that close to him. He didn't want me to hurt. And as you know, when I finally confronted him, he said, I knew, I didn't want to tell you because I knew you would drop everything from me. But it's okay. That's how we are. That's a soul. And the soul, you want your soul to be muscle-bound. You want a muscle-bound soul. And to get muscle-bound, you got to work out. You got to take it to the fire. You got to burn it. You got to beat it. You got to heal it. You got to rest it. And you got to do it again. So your soul is cultivated, not just through the good times, but through the challenges and hardship, through the barren time, when you cross in that desert, when you're alone at sea, when you're lost in the forest. That's what cultivates your soul. When you stay on point, when you follow your duty and you do what you got to do, when it doesn't feel rewarding, that makes your soul muscle-bound. So we need a muscle-bound soul. Yeah, and Z, I'll add one final thing to that. As you're talking about working out the soul, it makes me think about fear. So much of how we interact with other people is about protecting the ego. You don't want to open up to someone because you're afraid of looking stupid or you're afraid of rejection. Or if you get too close to them, then you'll have to go through the loss and the inevitable pain if they pass or something happens. So just one thing to add to what you said around working out is put the fear aside. The fear, in my view, is always going to be there. I don't believe that we can entirely get rid of it. And in a sense, it's almost irrelevant whether we get rid of it or not. It shouldn't stop us from acting. It shouldn't stop us from living. So be afraid, acknowledge the fear, but but keep on doing, keep on opening yourself up, keep on cultivating those relationships, building that intimacy. And at times it's going to be rough, but ultimately, as we're talking about, that's what gives strength to the soul. And that's what gives us the capacity to bear life's challenges. And uh, I think it, it gives us a life that's actually worth living. You're right, Vanity. What you're talking about is courage. Courage. Don't be a coward. Don't be a punk. Face it. Get knocked down, stand up. Get knocked down, stand up. Sometimes be quiet and still. You're not entitled to an easy life. You're not entitled to any damn thing. Just go out there and stand up in the storm. Pick yourself up. Brush yourself off. Hold your post. Hold your post and do your duty. Build your soul. All right, y'all? Anything else, folks? 
if I could add real quick uh, about soul, you know how, um, say, I try to tap in with, with babies, newborn babies, six-month toddlers. When you see a baby, something happens to everybody. Oh, the baby. It's love. It's an exchange that happens with a baby that all of us, I think your soul is radiating at that point because you just want to take care of the baby, provide for the baby, and protect this baby. So I think that may be a lane or something to do with the soul, that, that feeling with a, new, with a little baby. You see and go, wow. Because me being Uncle Sleuth lately for a while with the nephews, it's just an exchange always when you see them and, and you just feel the love. They just, they just look at you. It's, it's, you can't even explain it, verbalize it. It's just a feeling. So I feel that's a, a lane of soul or an expression of soul, that exchange with, with little people, especially pure, babies. Pure ones. Mm -hmm. The uncorrupted. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. There you go. So that's it, man. All right, good. Yeah, if we're off the air, I'll just say, Sleuth, that sounded creepy as hell. <laughs> I don't know if we want to keep that or not, but I'll leave that up to Caitlin. <laughs> yeah, you're fucked up, man, because it's actually really beautiful, man, the way the kids respond to Uncle Sleuth. It's actually yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I know. I know. I, I agree. Look, I agree with the point. I'm just saying, I don't want to be advocating for minor attracted people and then we get canceled for that. No, but, but, but you know, it's, it's funny because we live in such a different world. So I'm, I'm from the age of dinosaurs. Um, Jante's sitting here and, you know, we used to take his dad everywhere. Grown ass men would take this little boy to bases, to outings. He'd go camping with us. And there was never anything other than love. And he was part of the crew. And then all the little kids were safe. The girls, the boys, we didn't have the weirdness. We, we didn't, it was not weird. It was the village. It was an African village. You look after the kids. And that, we took pride, like, taking care of the kids. We would get girls because girls would see us as good fathers. Mm -hmm. No, really, we would, we would get girls. Because girls thought, hey, this, yeah, and they would see the little kids. Oh, you're so good. You're not married. <laughs> No, no, I'm just taking care of the kids. You're good with kids. That shit, that was like a panty snatching move. So nowadays, it's a weird thing for people to interact with kids because you have so much bizarro shit out there. You know, you have the man-boy love society and these people, what's this new thing called? A minor attracted people map. That's part of the new movement is map, minor attracted people. I got a... Uh, uh quote-unquote family friend of my stepfather who uh, I'm still beating his ass when I see him for making a joke like that. He didn't make a joke. He got me fired from a job because he made some statements that were accusatory. And I told him, hey, bro, when I see you, we ain't got nothing to talk about, bro. Throw the gloves on. We ain't got nothing to talk about. Yeah, it's just a weird world we live in because there was a time in more the warrior culture that you knew the children were your progeny. Right. And that was the net. And if you that, that was so off the Geneva Convention, messing with kids and anybody that messed with kids was immediately dealt with. I remember being in Senegal, visiting in Senegal and a guy who had grew up either in America or Europe had came back to Senegal and was molesting kids. And they did a ritual that was unfucking believable. They brought the witnesses out. 
They asked the kids if they were okay and they'd be going to the doctor and what he did. And they did it publicly and the dude was pleading. They brought the drummers and it's like they drummed until the sky opened, like they were trying to drum for rain. And then they, the community surrounded this dude and walked him backwards into shark-infested waters. Sounds fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they walked him into shark-infested water. And they made the kids watch that you will be safe. The keepers of the sea will take care of him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I've worked at several schools. I can't ever do it because I treat the kids like little brother, little sister. But at the school, they want you to treat them like a number. You can't. And I work with like drone is age. Like my preferred age because teenagers, you want to punch them in the fucking mouth and you can't hit them. So I'd rather work with like third to fifth grade. Because sure. personalities develop and we can have a conversation. You want to go play football? Let's go throw the football. You want to play basketball? Let's go play basketball. And I ain't got to punch you in the mouth. <laughs> That's when I realized how weird the culture has become. Because I have one as a volunteer parent. It was like the second graders. They were lining up, just finished lunch. We're getting them in line so they can go. They still hyped up and everything. And I had two of them. One, one was a little boy that I treated like a brother. He would come like hang off my arm because I could just lift him up. And one was like my little sister. He ran up and jumped on my back. <clears throat> Before he jumped, got in line, and she, like, tackled my leg. And I'm basically just dragging him along. Like, all right, all right, all right. But I'm laughing, right? The parent, sh she's hurting him in the line. And she turns looks up and says, you're sure having fun with the kids in this accusatory tone. And I just froze and looked at her for a second. And I couldn't say what I wanted to say because the kids were there. But... That's why to this day, that particular family friend has not been to a single function. That was about eight, nine years ago. Because I've made it clear to the family, when I see him, it ain't going to be a fun time. We don't have nothing to talk about. Well, yeah, that, that's, that's one of those things where, I mean, just the times we live in, I would, you know, just distance yourself. I wouldn't put energy into that. It's just a weird time we live in. I mean, we culturally... You know, kids are like everything. Mm -hmm. And we just live in a fucked up world where there, you talked about ritual. We don't have ritual. Right. Um, like grandparents, older people, and kids. Right. We're always sacred. Right. And we live in a time where nothing is sacred. And it's not for them, it's for us. Right. Right? That's like for me. Um, Caitlin kind of knows this. When I'm like down, 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 that's when I really cook. Because being around Joan and Viasa, it just, it raises my energy. Just... Well, you can be around them all the time because I need some damn <laughs> I can tell you, just let me know yeah. when you need me. And they they have just open heart. They're, they're affectionate. They're free. Like, I'm daddy, so I'm the punisher in a sense. I'm the disciplinarian. <laughs> all the uncles and aunties, that's where they, and I was like that with my aunts and uncles. Right. You know, I could get away with shit with them that I couldn't get away with my parents. It's wonderful, wonderful, right? And um, so, yeah, it is. But it's just, it, it's it's the times we live in, man. We live in the Kali Yug, man. We live in the twilight of the Kali Yug, and it's weird. But anyway, Vin, that's that. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.